We're going to read from the Bible, and the words are going to come up on the screen for us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. A little encounter where Jesus encounters two different scenarios. But as we're going through, just think, what might this show us about Jesus' care? So Mark, chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talithakum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old and at this they were completely astonished. So did you know in the UK there are 6.5 million people who are carers, who provide unpaid care for an ill, older or disabled person. Three in five of us will be carers at some point in our lives. 1.4 million people provide over 50 hours of unpaid care per week in their lives. The care provided by unpaid carers is worth an estimated 119 billion pounds every year, which is way more than the NHS budget. One in 10 carers provide that care for somebody who isn't part of their family in any way. One in three of those carers say that their household income has gone down by over £20,000 a year as a direct result of being a carer. Over half of those carers suffer depression 
due to their caring. Around 80% suffer anxiety and stress as a result of the care they provide. Over 60% of carers worry about the lasting impact the care has on their existing relationships. Now I guess that most of those statistics aren't that surprising to us. Most of us will at some point, if we don't already, provide care for people in an unpaid capacity who are ill, older, or disabled. It's the way our society is. But have you ever asked, why? Why is care seen as being a good thing? Why do we have what's called the welfare system, which, by the way, was introduced by Archbishop William Temple, a Christian coming up with the concept. Why do we think it's important to make sacrifices for somebody that is costly to us both in terms of finances and in terms of health? After all, if it's just survival of the fittest, as many would say, well then they should be left behind, shouldn't they? We want to keep on getting on with our lives, making a difference for ourselves. Well, it might surprise you because we take it so much for granted that societies have not always been that way. In the Greco-Roman era, when, people, when there was no welfare system, people who were unable to contribute to society were often discarded. Children with disabilities, when they were discovered with disabilities, were often left out on a barren hillside just to the elements to die. For those elderly people without family were discarded, left on their own. Widows without a wider family left to care and fend for themselves, begging and so on. I remember a few years ago I visited a graveyard in Tunisia near Carthage. And this graveyard was a deeply disturbing place, kind of one of those odd tourist attractions. It was disturbing because it was a graveyard largely made of children's bones, children that were sacrificed in which wealthy people had bought children from poorer families that were not wanted to sacrifice them to the gods. As one Oxford scholar says, we like to think that we're quite close to the ancient world, that they were really just like us. The truth is, I'm afraid, they really weren't. And it was into that ancient world concept, into that framework, there was this motley group of people who followed somebody by the name of Jesus, who began caring in a radically different way that ultimately led to vast growth for them as a little band that then began to influence the planet. In the fourth century, Emperor Julian the Apostate, who wanted to get rid of these Christians, sent a letter to the pagan temple priests in which he begged the priests to start doing the kind of things that the Christians were doing because they were beginning to have too much influence. And of course, what happened? Well, these pagan temples had nothing in their framework about giving to the poor that couldn't give back, and it never took place. And so today, just for a few minutes, I want to think about the difference that Jesus has made on our attitude to care, the difference that his followers have made throughout history. 
And we'll see, as we saw last week, the foundations start with that introductory verse from Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, where God says, where we read, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. Everybody has value, everybody has dignity, because God gives it to them, not any worth that society places on them. And Jesus both lived that out and provided a model for us, but also went further and practically showed what that looks like in society. And the implications for us today as we begin to step further and further away from that foundation, you can already begin to see what that might lead to in a society where we talk of hard-working families and the value that they contribute, everybody else don't really have much time for hard-working family, for anyone not hard-working. And we're going to summarize it by this verse on the screen. Jesus' words, I'm going to keep this on the screen from a different part of the Gospels. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So four things very briefly from that story I read of Jesus encountering Jairus' daughter and Jesus encountering the other woman. Firstly, Jesus changes our view of what care looks like. Do you remember those photos of Princess Diana when she first cared for the AIDS victims? Do you remember that? There was huge fury about how she's touching them, she's getting close. We live in a culture, don't we, in which the phrase getting our hands dirty is seen as being a good thing. And yet, many as if if we're honest, if I can fit these gloves on, put these kind of gloves on when we're caring for people around us. The kind of gloves that make a good thwack when you put them on. Now hear me for any doctors and medical professions in the room, I'm not saying these are not good, they are very good. (laughs) But getting our hands dirty wasn't always a good thing. And into this concept we have Jesus. Did you notice it? As he encountered these different people. Two incidents, a synagogue leader, an unnamed woman. And look what happens, verse 23. If I can turn the page in these gloves, glove. The synagogue leader says, because he knows what Jesus has been doing, he says, please come and put your hands on my daughter so that she'll be healed. And then in verse 41 we read, he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, little girl, get up. Do you see how he cares? He has care with gloves off putting his hands on her, caring. That profound moment of connection. In a culture where death meant ceremonial uncleanness. Ceremonial uncleanness, try saying that. It's an unheard of to actually actively want to touch somebody you're not related to so that they might be healed. And since then, churches down through history have done the same thing. I read a book a few years ago called Blood River by Tim Butcher. Anyone read that book? Cracking read, by the way. Great book. All about the Congo. 
And all about, he follows the river Congo, and he basically back in the days when it used to be this very successful nation in Africa, now of course it's war-torn and desolate. And what is fascinating is he does this journey. Who are the Westerners that are still there? Not even the UN want to have Westerners there. The Westerners that are still there are the nuns, are the Christian missionaries that have stayed through thick and thin in their bullet-holed monasteries and bullet-holed houses. I remember when I used to work for Tear Fund. Tear Fund had a reputation of being the organization that when it really kicked off, their volunteers were the ones who stayed last. Getting hands dirty is a new thing that Jesus says, this is how we care. Not a distant one, but alongside with them. So Jesus changes how we view care. And here's a question for us. Does our care present the kind of care that is gloves on or gloves off? Secondly, Jesus not only changes how we view caring, it changes our view of who we care for. Not just our family members, the ones that we have direct responsibility for, but way, way wider. And you see that from the story, don't you? Two very different people. One was an influential person, a synagogue leader. We know his name, Jairus. And you can tell by the number of people that were weeping and mourning and wailing that he had significance in his community. He's the sort of person that you'd expect to care for, you'd want to care for, because you never know what he might do back. But then you have this unnamed woman and not only was she unnamed, she had been ceremonial, uh, ceremonially unclean for 12 years. An outcast, you wouldn't even touch her because it had meant you'd have to go to the temple to cleanse yourself. On the outskirts, that has to force her way in a crowd just to touch. And Jesus stops. One had lots of support and a framework around them. One, we don't even know her name. And yet Jesus, because everybody is made in the image of God, stops and cares for all, all. A few years ago, the politician Roy Hattersley wrote a fascinating article in the Guardian newspaper. Roy Hattersley is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He wouldn't subscribe to the teachings of Jesus. He thinks that, uh, uh, that there is no God and therefore he, he does things on the basis of that. But yet he wrote a fascinating article about when he spent some time with the Salvation Army. And he reflected on his own atheism compared to the views of the people in the Salvation Army. And he freely admitted he thought what they believed was very difficult to swallow. He in fact refers to it as nonsense. And yet listen to these words that he writes very honestly. It ought to be possible to live a Christian life without being a Christian. Yet men and women who, like me, cannot accept the mysteries and the miracles do not go out with the Salvation Army at night. And then talking of those Christians, he says, the only possible conclusion is that faith influences enough of them to make them morally superior to atheists like me. The truth, he says, may make us free, 
but it's not made us as admirable as the average captain in the Salvation Army. Fascinating words, and I, I'm not entirely sure he's right, because I think there are lots of people who do good in our society. And yet, the distinction about Christianity is that it's right at the heart. Because the very founder, Jesus himself, shows us what care looks like and calls us all, as we've heard from Kristen, to care in some way for all. And so, can I ask you a question? Who do we care for? Do we care for those that will only benefit us? What about when that care goes on and on and on and on and on and frankly it's exhausting? Or what about when that care sometimes is rejected? Who in the words of Jesus are the least of these brothers and sisters of mine? So Jesus shows us how to care. Uh, He shows us who to care for. Thirdly, Jesus shows us how he cares for us. Because there's something even more profound of this model of caring. It's not just that Jesus is saying, watch me how I care for people and do the same. Look, I care for all, brilliant. You know, get personal. There's something even more profound about Jesus' care. And there's amazing words that Jesus says in verse, we read in verse 34. Do you notice what he says? Two things. Verse 34 to the woman. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Go in peace. Be free from your suffering. And then verse 39, talking about this girl who died. The child is not dead but asleep. And here we get a little snapshot that this care that Jesus is providing here, very personal, very pragmatic care, points us forward beyond that immediate moment to a supreme act of care. Where on the cross, as he is willing to sacrifice himself once for all for those he cares for, he says these words, to somebody right next to him who's also died of the criminal past, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus' practical act of care is pointing forwards to a much deeper act of care, where he shows care for you and me right now. And therefore, his church cares because he cares. He cared for the whole world and was willing to die for the forgiveness of our sin. How can't we then care for those around us? He's extended grace to us, we extend grace to others. And if you're here today and you're exploring who this Jesus is, can I encourage you to know that Jesus cares for you and your world, your circumstances. He cares so much that 2,000 years ago he was nailed to a cross for you. That's how much he cares for you right now. Can I encourage you to explore who he really is, what he really done for you. So Jesus shows us what care looks like. Jesus shows us who to care for. Jesus shows us how he cares for all of us. And fourthly and finally and very briefly, 
Jesus also shows us what ultimate care looks like. You see, you may not know, but right now, there are a good chunk of people from this gathering who are right now giving out cups of water and giving out drinks for those running the marathon. Not the marathon, half a marathon. Don't want to denigrate those that are running it, but it's a half a marathon. Why are they doing that? Because we want to simply show something of the love of God to those people in their moment of need as they're exhausted running up that hill. But why do we do the shoe boxes that we've talked about earlier? Well, it's because we want to show the same kind of care that Jesus has shown, but as Chris so helpfully showed, it's not just care for now, is it? Do you see the reaction of everybody? At the very end, after Jesus has done this amazing miracle, we read these words. At this, they were completely astonished. They were amazed. They'd never seen such power, but they'd also never seen such care. And ultimately, therefore, that's the encouragement for his church. Ultimately, we know we all need not just temporary care now that looks after our physical and emotional and well-being needs, which we are called to do, but also we all will face death one day. And so the greatest, most supreme act of care is pointing to hope beyond the grave. A few years ago, in a very famous article, Matthew Paris, the British journalist, wrote again in the, in the Times newspaper this time. He wrote, as an atheist, he said these words, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. And again, as he reflected on the work that was going on in Africa and their work of non-governmental organizations and charities doing all sorts of good stuff, and he'd been trying, as so many people have tried to do, separating out the kind of religious bit and their care. If only they could just do the care and forget the God stuff, we'd all be sweet with that. But they keep on talking about Jesus. And in this article, he very frankly and very honestly and powerfully wrote these words. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. And so the care we provide, as Jesus did, is not just practical getting our hands dirty with those around us, the least and the greatest, but it's also showing the kind of care that means I will be willing to speak up and say, do you know there's care beyond the grave? And so as I come to close, in a moment, we are going to take communion together. When we remember Jesus' amazing care for us. And as we take the bread and as we take the wine, the question for us is, have we received that care? Are we humble enough to know we need it from him? And then will we be, we be people who then care for the unlovely, who love those society rejects, who sacrifice even on behalf of those society says are worthless or have the wrong ideas or just don't contribute. And as a church,
Will you, will I be willing to step in when society has stepped away? May we remember the one who supremely cared for us. Let's pray together.